Moving on to resilience. We've got this series that we're looking at at the moment all about building resilience, building resilient disciples. And I don't know, would you say you are a resilient person? The Oxford English Dictionary defines resilience as the ability to recover after shock, injury, or trial. And Patrick Regan, who's a pioneer of a mental health charity called Kintsugi Hope, says resilience is the ability to thrive in the midst of adversity. What image comes to mind when I talk about resilience and I share those two quotes? Maybe a tree that stood the test of time, weathering the seasons of life, or a boxer who, on the defense, who's able to roll with the punches but keep going, or someone you admire who's not given up despite many opportunities and understandable reasons to give up. People can be so incredibly resilient. I remember when I was 19, my uncle suddenly died of a heart attack. And my auntie and his two sons of 13 and 11, they were absolutely devastated. Life just became just this tragic wave. Um, meant instantly, life was different. But they persevered. They kept going, despite such tragic loss. People are incredibly resilient. Well, they are, until suddenly they're not. And that's the other side of the coin. It seems like people do have a, a point where they become broken. They just stop and they cease. They have breakdowns, wave the white flag and throw in the towel. And so as we look at this series, just we recognize that we are fragile as humans. We're strong, but we're fragile. And so we need to find a source of life that will sustain us. Or to give you another image picture... If life is like a white water rafting adventure, we need an ability to stay on the raft, not fall in the river and get tumbled around. Stay on the raft. And so that's what we're hoping to do. We're hoping to, as we preach this series, to show you Jesus, he is the one who has, is the source of life. And so we're going to spend some time this morning looking at... Um, really the outline to a problem we face in today's society and helping us understand the cultural moment that we are living in today in Leeds in the 21st century. And Jesus speaks about the understanding the cultural moment when he rebukes the crowds gathered in Luke 12:54. He says, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say it's going to rain. And it does. And when the south wind blows... You say, oh, it's going to be hot. It doesn't happen that often here, does it? Um, Hypocrites, you, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it you don't know how to interpret the signs of this present time? What are you saying? You pay attention to the weather, but you don't pay attention to the times you are living in. And this is so important. If we're not aware of our vulnerabilities... We can't safeguard against them. And so I'm asking this key question. What are the things which erode our resilience? What are the things which erode our resilience? I'm going to talk about four of them. Firstly, we have a wrong understanding of what resilience is. This seems, I know, a basic place to start. 
And I've had conversations with people who have either said, mm, I'm not resilient, or um, that person or that person's resilient and I'm not. You either are or you aren't. Well, I don't think that's true. It's not something we either have or ha don't have. It's more like a muscle that we all have and we can grow it. And that's the way they muscles work. Like when you do some hard physical exercise, they break down and then rebuild. And then when they're rested, they've regrown stronger. So everyone, no matter your starting point, you've got a chance to become more resilient. So this isn't a message for half the room. This is a message for all the room. And the mindset is massive in this area. Research suggests that we strive towards a goal only if we believe it is realistic and possible. If something feels out of reach before you've started, you won't ever begin. So it's not a question of do I have or haven't got resilience. We all have it. It's a muscle we can grow. Secondly, one of the uh, second problem which erodes our resilience is we choose self-protection over strengthening. It's totally natural to try and avoid hardship and pursue a path of least resistance. And I'm not here to suggest all of us should say, yep, sign me up for a hard life. But there's a paradox at play here. Because though we don't choose calamity and hardship, we know it does exist in this fallen world. And so we should expect it and not be surprised when trouble comes. Jesus says, in this life you will have trouble. What he was doing was trying to build resilience in his disciples from the very beginning. And he was teaching them what a contemporary scientist called Angela Duckworth says she's in her book um, called Grit, about resilience. She says, strength can be found in the struggle. Strength can be found in the struggle. So if right now you're in the face of a really difficult moment in your life, God can build strength in you. And he builds it. He doesn't just give it. He builds it in you. So the process you're going through is a strengthening one. But we don't go looking for trouble. But also we don't throw in the towel. We see it as an opportunity for strengthening. So with God's help, we lean into the struggle and the challenge rather than leaning away from it. And one of the places I see this at play is parenting. And as a parent, I've got three children, I remember baby-proofing our house, making sure anything with, with a sharp edge was softened, any risk was removed, and our house became more like a padded cell than a soft play centre. No risks here, the health visitor declared when she came round. But do you know we can make things too safe for our children? This is an image of a playground in New York, an old playground. But a while ago, a piece of research was carried out in New York City, which deemed some playgrounds have become too safe. They tore down jungle gyms like this one, and they softened the edges of every piece of apparatus. All the floors were laid with not tarmac or concrete, but some kind of springy stuff, you know the type that you feel like you're like walking on the moon when you walk over it? And they realized that it was lessening the child's sense of adventure and ability to process risk. That's what the research suggested. So rather than seeing a piece of equipment as a challenge to be accomplished, 
It looked too boring, too small. So they opted to play on bridges and tram lines, and essentially more dangerous places. So for younger children, it increased injuries outside the park because children would leave softer edges of parks and bouncy floors and leave them for the real world and be more timid in other contexts as old children. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but a New York Times article suggests a child who's experienced a fall, as in falling from a table onto the floor or falling from a window, first of all, kind of ground floor window, you imagine that, falling, but still you know, recovering. A child who's experienced a fall before the age of nine is less likely to develop a fear of heights as a teenager. So what is, that's true for building our physical confidence and resilience is also true for our emotional resilience, it seems. Because it's so tempting, isn't it, to run after children, smooth every path in front of them, making sure they don't have uh, physical problems or relational conflicts as they get older, making sure that they don't experience disappointment because that will make them sad in the moment. And, you know, first sign of trouble, we sweep in and we pick them up. And it's called helicopter parenting. But you quickly learn, if you take away all the risks, you remove opportunity for exploration, learning and growth. And you remove opportunity to build this muscle of resilience. The same principle will be in play within our growth as people and disciples. God won't necessarily remove every difficult barrier ahead of us. He won't necessarily smooth every path. But these times where we have challenge, they're times for us to grow in our trust in him and our strengthening of resilience. Paul says in Romans 5, suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Can you see? Can you see the kind of the, the stage movements that it leads us to a strengthened position? So don't hear me wrong. I'm not belittling suffering. I'm not saying let's throw ourselves into every difficult environment we can ever think of, but where inevitable challenges occur, we must lean in with God's help, knowing that um, they are producing in us something of value. So, second, um, yes, yeah, so that was number two. The the challenge that we choose um, to like self-protect rather than lean in to what's going on and be strengthened. And thirdly, we focus on what we don't have rather than what we do. So we live in a society, don't we, where in subtle ways and you know, unsubtle ways, sometimes whispers, sometimes shouts, it says, you don't have enough. You need more. A bigger house, a better car, a, a different promotion, longer holidays, more gadgets, nicer clothes, better social life. The list goes on. And this, I find, creeps into how we feel about our lives and this area for the challenges we face. In a study on emotional resilience titled The Neuroscience of Gratitude and the Effects on the Brain found practicing gratitude and thankfulness builds emotional resilience. So you want to build emotional resilience. 
a psychological study says, practice gratitude and thankfulness. Because it helps you see the most important things in life. You have them already. You often have. Because of the consumeristic society we live in, it tricks us that in order to be satisfied, happy, complete, we, can, we need to consume the things that we don't yet have. And so until we have them, we can't be happy. Until we have that next thing, we actually are incomplete and unability, uh, there's an, kind of a lack in us. We also can't discern between what we need and what we want. It all gets blurry. But the good news is God knows what we need and in him we have an abundance. The New Testament writer Peter, the apostle, he writes in his second letter to a church who need much needed resilience in a time of persecution. He writes, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him. And this same divine power is given to the church. The church today can receive that divine power. We need to come to him and draw from him. Finally, we can choose quick worldly comforts over deep satisfaction God offers. Jeremiah was a prophet in the Old Testament and his job was to call people back to God and the ways of his ways God said people should live. And he writes this near the beginning of his book. This is God speaking to him for the people. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So in, um, when this was written in Israel, hot, plenty of times when um, there wasn't much rain. So it was a potent image for the, the hearers, which is quite lost on us today. But just recall the thirstiest you've been ever in your life. Maybe it's been waking up in the morning after a salty curry on the night before. Maybe it's been playing outside in the hot summer for a long afternoon. Um, when you hadn't got water with you, or going for a walk without the necessary um, H2O required. Get the picture, you're thirsty. Well, living in the Middle East, there was two ways to get water. One was hard work of digging a cistern that would fill with rainwater. Often this cistern would be placed at the bottom of some, some rocks, so the, rocks, the water would fall at the times when it rained, and trickle down into the system where it would be stored until it was needed. But it soon became stagnant. It was dirty by the time it got in there. Metal probably got rusty. That's one way. Second way, you'd find a spring, a never-ending supply, a constant flow of fresh water. Where would you choose to drink? A rusty bucket, big bucket? filled with old water, or a fresh, clean stream. And this is, this problem, we often feel we know best. We reject the spring, because you have to go and find it, and you go to what looks more satisfying, or what's easier in the moment. And it's not always the things that we go to are necessarily sinful. 
you know, television, social media, sports, gaming, food. Um, they don't have the, susten um, yeah, the sustenance or the substance and resources to satisfy over the long haul when things are really difficult. I don't know why, but often for me, the things that I know I need most is the easiest to put off. So the amount of times in the morning I'll get up to read my Bible and I think, I'll just close my eyes for five more minutes. I'll take that little rest over the comfort of the Word of God. Or other times I might pick up my phone and go to my Bible app and have a read and then I realise 15 minutes has gone past and i am now been reading the BBC Sport. How, why did that time go? And so what do I need to do? I need to shepherd the longings of my life. I need to shepherd the longings of my life. During our series in the autumn term on um, resistance, we suggested week by week a number of spiritual practices that were going to be helpful to help build um, an ability to resist the world. And these practices also help us build resilience by shepherding our longings and leading us to the one who will supply what we need in a time of trouble. Um, I've collated uh, a number of them, and these ten are what I want to suggest to you are ten ways to build resilience in your own life. Because to be passive is to kind of see where your thirst takes you. But to be as intentional is to decide where to you take your thirst. The cistern or the spring. We have to be intentional if we're going to get to the spring. And our longings, our desires, don't always make us mean we make good decisions when left to our own devices. We often go to the easiest, the quickest comfort, the thing that may satisfy or might fill a need in the short term. But through these practices, what they do is they help us foster an, a love and a desire for Jesus. And because Jesus, he is the one who, and he says this of himself in John 4, 14, he is the source of living water. He is the source of living water. He's, he speaks these words to a lady um, who's he's met by a well. And he says to her, whoever drinks the water I give them, it will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So knowing Jesus means we're filled with this living water. And so focusing on him, giving our lives to him, looking to him, this is where we will find our source for being resilient and growing this muscle. Um, two weeks ago, I spent the morning on my own in solitude and silence. I spent 40 minutes listening to a podcast on how to do solitude well, because I wasn't sure. And then I spent the rest of the morning on my own. And I actually went out of Leeds. I caught the train to Ilkley and did a walk and got the train back. And in those moments, I found I connected with Jesus in such a powerful way. I don't think it's something I'm very good at, solitude and silence. But I gave a morning of my week, or you know, I, I don't do it every week, but I just gave, it was three or four hours, 
what I found was I was able to connect with him in a way that I hadn't for a long time. I heard him speak to me about what he wanted me to do and in some certain situations. And I gave all the trouble and difficulty to him as I walked and talked, not out loud, mainly in my head, to him. And so it may not be that that's what you get to do this week or this month, but if you can commit to some of these spiritual practices, they will help you. They will help you know Jesus and build resilience. So we're going to, I'm just going to finish now by asking you a question. And we're going to have some quiet time where no one else is speaking. It's for you to answer this question. What do you need to do to build resilience in your life? What do you need to do to build resilience in your life? There may have been some of those things, those first, those four problems um, that you identified with and thought, yes, I need to put that off. I need to kind of change the way I live my life. And these spiritual practices that I'd highlighted, maybe there's some of those that you need to commit to. Because the one who holds all the resources we need to endure through the challenges of life doesn't withhold them from us. He is generous towards us. Ephesians 3.16, from his, from God's unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. So the book in the New Testament says to us, and it speaks to us today. So God's resilience starts with the confidence that he has all you need, and he is generous to give them to you. So we come to the one who holds us and sustains us and invites us to draw strength from him. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to allow us to have just some quiet time and then Rach and the band will lead us in a time of worship and response. So Father, we say thank you for this morning. Thank you for all the good things that are in today. Help us see them. Help us respond with gratitude. But also, God, please lead us back to yourself. Lead us away from the quick comforts that we go to. Lead us back to the things which restore us deeply. And God, in right now I pray that we would turn away from the broken cistern, dirty water, to you, the source of life, living water that wells up in us through your Holy Spirit. Please, may we hear your voice, even in this time, to know what our next step should be. Jesus' name we pray. Amen.